Ladies and gentlemen and Corner Kick fam, welcome back to the Corner Kick podcast. We're in a weird state of limbo. The domestic campaigns have ended. The new, strange, still in COVID era, 2020 to 2021 seasons have yet to begun, but they're just around the corner. But we have one big piece of unfinished business left to discuss, boys. And that is the 2020 Champions League. Starting up at the end of this week, I have with me Caleb Rhodes. Hello. And Nathan Strauss. Hello, hello. So we're picking up in a pretty odd place. We have four second leg ties to discuss of the round of 16 before we get into discussing the two quarterfinal ties that we already know that are confirmed. So we're going to start this episode by talking about those four ties that have yet to conclude before discussing the RB Leipzig versus Atletico Madrid and PSG versus Atalanta games, which you know are coming down the pipeline. But lads, let me just first get your impressions. How do you feel? So we, it's been a long time since we've had any interleague football crossing the streams, so to speak. How do you guys feel about the Champions League restarting and where all of these teams are at versus where they were in March? It's very weird. I think it's it's very different because all of these teams have already concluded their domestic seasons. So some teams like Chelsea are done and dusted because of injuries, contract expirations, and even domestic cup final results weighing heavily on their minds. But other teams like Lyon have gotten their, you know, one of their best players back from a, what was supposed to be a season-long injury. So it's just very weird, the, the sort of anachronism of these of these ties, but I'm I'm very much looking forward to it under the assumption that it doesn't become a regular thing. Yeah, I think this is such a weird setup. Like it's weird to have these ties spread like six months, five months apart from each other. And it's weird to think how much the contexts of these teams have changed and how the storylines for each team have changed so dramatically. It makes it interesting for us to discuss. Uh, but I think it also makes a lot of these things incredibly unpredictable. It's also nice to see, you know, the idea that there is a world where teams can travel internationally to compete. I know that they'll mostly be playing in Portugal. I think it, it, it bodes well for the world that you can have teams from different countries traveling to play each other. I think that is a positive sign for our continued fight against COVID, which is mostly an issue in the U.S. Woo. Uh, but I'm excited to have this discussion because I think there's a lot to get into here. There certainly is a lot to unpack. Let's start with the round of 16 ties that have yet to be concluded. And we are going to begin in Manchester with the runner-ups in the Premier League, Manchester City, taking on the newly crowned La Liga champions in Real Madrid. Man City, if we cast our minds way, way, way back to the beginning of this tie, uh, Man City took a somewhat surprising victory away at the Bernabeu 2-1. And they'll carry that advantage, having two away goals into this game at home at the Etihad. I think it's very, very important to note that potentially Real Madrid's most important and vital player and their captain, Sergio Ramos, is going to be suspended for this game. And every indication points to their most expensive defender ever, but perhaps a little inexperienced 
Eder Militao stepping in to take up the reins of the Madrid captain. Caleb Rhodes, you're a Guardiola and a Madrid expert. What do you make of this tie resuming? I think that Ramos missing this game is almost it's certainly a death sentence. I think he is the man they've turned to in La Liga to score the goals. I mean, he had 11 La Liga goals as a center back this year, which made him the, I think, 10th top scorer in the league, just behind former Madrid teammate Alvaro Morata. And he's the second highest scorer on Madrid's team, just behind Benzema. Right. So I think he, he is an offensive force. He is also the sort of clutch factor for the team. And, and so I think that's just a huge loss beyond the fact that he's, you know, their defensive rock. I will say, though, the positives for Madrid is that, you know, they are coming off the high of winning La Liga um, and they've been very consistent in eking out wins. They also, you know, have Eden Hazard back. So, you know, last time out he was still injured and they had to start a front three of, you know, Isco, Benzema and uh, Vinicius. And, I, you know, they have Asensio back too. So I think they have more options offensively. And I think that they're sort of very dialed in. I think the question will just be whether not having the glue of Sergio Ramos will kind of unstick them. Yeah, I actually am a little bit more bullish on Madrid's chances. Madrid haven't lost a game since before the restart. They've won 14 on the bounce. Um, and yes, Ramos and his penalty scoring uh, played a big part in that. But in a game in which they're going to need to attack from the onset, um, because City do have those two away goals, Madrid are going to turn attack into a good... They're going to be able to take some of the strain off of their defense by how much they're going to be attacking. And while City are obviously in a commanding position with that 2-1 lead and playing at the Etihad, there's a good chance that uh, Madrid end up holding on, especially given that Sergio Aguero won't be fit uh, and it'll be Jesus who starts up top for the citizens, although that hasn't really hampered them in the past couple of weeks as they wrapped up their season. We certainly saw how they could be exploited as they lost to both Southampton and Arsenal uh, while being blanked in both those games. So I think if Militao can step up, if the midfield three can produce like they did uh, for Madrid over the last couple of weeks of the La Liga season, I actually do think that Madrid are capable of getting a result here. I think there's two interesting narrative elements at play here. One, we have to think about how much City are going to want to win the Champions League following their acquittal in the Court of Arbitration for Sport panel hearing that Caleb and I discussed on a recent pod taken quickly. I think there's certainly going to be an element of vengeance getting one up on UEFA and Pep Guardiola and City are going to want to have, (laughs) as Caleb said, Alexander Seferin, the president of UEFA, hand that trophy over to them, uh, gritting through his teeth. So I think there's certainly going to be an element of a city going out there to prove themselves and absolutely stomp a mud hole in a Madrid side that have epitomized the Champions League over the past five years. I think there's also something about Madrid in that the the Champions League is their elixir of life. It's the chalice in which they continue to drink from regardless of whatever form they're in in the league, in the cup, however well their season's going, they always seem to be prepared and ready to go in the Champions League. I just think we recently gave our corner kick player of the year to Kevin De Bruyne. As Nathan said in that episode, I think he's in the top three or five players in the world right now. And Madrid are lacking their talisman, their heart and their spirit in Ramos. And I just think that's a little bit too much 
to overcome for a Madrid team that could be suffering a little bit of experience when we think about players like Valverde and Vinicius and Militao coming into this game against a very game Manchester City that will want to prove everyone wrong. We haven't set the context yet fully, so Madrid are down 2-1. to one. City have two away goals, which means Madrid need to score two or need to win by two to win outright. Um, so definitely the pressure is on them to perform. I think the one way I see Madrid sort of gaining the upper hand is I worry that City might have a weird kind of like manic energy to them because of how the Premier League went, because of how the FA Cup went, and because of the you know acquittal. And I think they have like a weird energy about them. And we've seen them be very inconsistent. And I've also seen like Guardiola teams melt down before. And so I'm worried that this could be a kind of like Azula moment for Guardiola, where he kind of just, <laughs> he kind of just like, for, for those yeah. who don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I just worry there, this could be a meltdown. I could also be totally wrong and City come out really well drilled and they really pick at a weakened Madrid defense. And because Madrid don't quite have a talisman in this team right now, they can't find a way back in it. 538 says that City have a 61% chance of winning, while Madrid only have an 18% chance of winning. And I think that's just wrong. I think it's much closer. But at the end of the day, and maybe we can give our predictions on this tie, I think City are probably going to prevail, but they might still lose this game 1-0. I definitely think that's true. Yeah, I I think you're right in saying that City are going to come out playing with a very like manic, radical energy. We've certainly seen that in big games this season where they've they've come out a little bit shaky to start the game, a little bit unconfident. And we know that Guardiola, he needs to win a trophy, another trophy besides the League Cup, which is sort of an irrelevant trophy at this point. But we know that he's come out and said the board isn't super happy that he's trailed this far behind to Liverpool in the Premier League and lost that title race by that significant a margin so we know that he needs to come out make an make a statement and i just wonder if making a statement is going to lead to them being exposed at the back like nathan was talking about do you have a, a score prediction nick uh i still think city are way more solid coming into this than madrid are i think the loss of ramos uh, especially in the makeup of this madrid team and how important he's been in the past 14 games it's just going to be too much to overcome for Real, especially away. I think they're going to go out in the round of 16, which is not good news for Zidane. And I think Pep Guardiola and Man City are going to win out 2-0. to nil. I'm going to say that the final score is going to be 2-2, which means City would go through on the result of that. Um, but I do think that there's the possibility that you know, if City do come out and look shaky, I, do, I know this Madrid team, team can capitalize, especially if Hazard is fully fit, which he wasn't in that first leg. Shall we move on to the second tie that day, which is interestingly being played at the same time? I don't really I'm not really sure why on a day where CBS Sports, at least in America, is uh, making their Champions League debut, so to speak, that they would have these two games be concurrent, seeing as there's very little other global sport on at this time, but uh, the second game. Are the Champions League games normally concurrent? They are, but at the same time, I don't understand why they would stick to tradition now when the entire uh, there, there's a, there's a lot of asynchronicity to this entire tournament. I don't know. I think they might want to keep that element of nighttime games in Europe in the Champions League, and they can only do that if there's a 9 p.m. start. There's no real use in having one game start at 
seven and one game start at nine. But I think you're right. Yeah, perhaps there, there's an element of just keeping a sense of normalcy when it comes no, to the Champions no, League return. No, I think I think it's just it's just stupid from CBS. Like it's it lacks I mean, imagination. Yeah, it's not CBS. No, it is it's CBS. Like UEFA charting what time these games start. I mean, CBS doesn't own. It's not like. It's not like there's going to be fans. Like they could easily change the time. There's no, they they had to change the date of these games to August. They had. Oh yeah, moved. I'm just saying that. All right. I think like it's one of those things where, you know, the pre- the Premier League didn't come back and, and we're like, all right, now we're gonna do like a bunch of night games because we're able to and we want to capitalize on the U.S. not having any sporting events going on. I think it's just a sense of like they want to do things as usual, which I understand, but also you know. Th- they probably should have taken advantage of the situation a bit more. Leaving that behind, Nathan, Juventus Leon. I'm not sure that it's going to be quite as feisty as Madrid uh, City, but there's certainly another compelling storyline here. You have Juve coming off the back of another successful league championship coming up against a Leon side that by virtue of a 1-0 home win for them are carrying a lead into this tie, but have just 120 minutes of football that have been played since the COVID-19 pandemic struck. Lyon coming off of a, a penalty loss to uh, PSG in the in the last ever Coupe de la Ligue in France. Juve coming off of a slightly lackluster conclusion to their season. Certainly a, a season that ended in dominating fashion for them when you look at the league table. I personally think Lyon are going to actually pull through with this. Where do you guys line up? Yeah, I think... This is really interesting because Leon obviously are a goal up from the first leg and they'll have, you know, potentially Depay might be able to take a few minutes. And this Juventus team is relatively depleted. They're missing a few midfielders and defensive players. And they were incredibly lackluster to end the Serie A season. Um, I've said this many times before that I don't think they should have won Serie A and really you know, Lazio and Inter Milan and even Atalanta are probably kicking themselves for not winning just like one or two more games. So I don't know. I really think this Juventus team is not that impressive. I think they rely a lot on a moment of brilliance from Dybala and Ronaldo, which, you know, of course they can provide. But really, I think Leon have the upper hands in this game. And the only question will be, can a team that really hasn't played competitive football, you know, turn out like this? when Juventus have been playing consistently, despite the fact that they have lost three out of their last four Serie A games. So I think it's really hard to bet against Juventus and Ronaldo, especially in the Champions League, when like Real Madrid also drinks the eternal waters of the Champions League. Ronaldo somehow never ages in the competition. He is the record goal scorer in the Champions League. So we know that this is the Ronaldo Invitational, essentially. So he'll not want to give it up. I, I think... Juventus are kind of displaying an interesting trend when it comes to their games recently. And that is that they're really susceptible to players who want to dribble at them. We saw in their 4-2 loss to AC Milan that they got completely overpowered by Ante Rebic and Rafael Leao, two quick, younger, faster players with a little bit of agility and are able to attack directly. And the same thing with their last match against Roma in which Nicolo Zaniolo and Diego Parati completely dribbled all over them and were able to open up all sorts of space because their midfielders and their defenders are very stagnant. You know, this this is not the youngest team in the world. Their midfield is not the most mobile midfield in the world. 
no matter what combination of Rabio, Benton Kerr, Ramsey, Kadira, whoever they want to put out. They're really reliant on the individual brilliance of Ronaldo and Dybala going forward. But I also just don't know if this Leon team is going to have enough competitive minutes under their belt to really get at them from an attacking standpoint. Husum Arwar and Memphis Depay are two of the highest dribblers in the Champions League. Uh, Husum Arwar has completed 20 successful dribbles and Depay has completed 13 successful dribbles in the competition so far. So if they can get those legs going and make Juventus players commit and open up space for the likes of Moussa and Dembele, maybe they'll have a chance. But I just don't know if they're going to be at full offensive flow and lethalness in order to get the job done against Juventus. But I certainly don't think this Juventus team are going to go far. Yeah, I just like I think that one of the nice things about not having to go out and attack for Lyon, combined with the fact that Depay is back, it means that they can really play to their strengths in this match. And I... We, we've talked about Juve's problems previously. Uh, I definitely can see a situation where Juve come out and just win this game 2-0. We know Juve have a tendency to come back specifically in the second leg of round of 16 ties uh, against, obviously, Monaco and Atleti in the last couple of years. Uh, but everything is different this time. And I really do think that whether Juve win this game or not, they certainly aren't going to make it further than next round. Uh, because whatever team they face is going to blow them out of the water in a one-legged tie. It'll be Man City. Right. If they do get through. Right. Either either Man City or Real. Either Man City or Madrid. I think either either team can beat them. Right. Absolutely. So I think I think Lyon take this one 1-1, meaning they would win on aggregate. Um, but I definitely could see a situation where Lyon win like 3-0 as well. I don't see that. I don't think that's... Especially... I think it would be possible if Ligue 1 was still or had been not completely canned. But I think in a situation where they haven't played a lot of competitive minutes, it's going to be really difficult to go up against a Juventus team that just won Serie A. Like, we have to remember that even though they we don't think they're particularly compelling enough to com- fully deserve that Serie A title, they are going to be buoyed by the fact that, you know, they know they're the Italian champions coming into this game. And we can't forget the Ronaldo factor in the Champions League as well. I think that's super important. Yeah, no. I, I think I agree with you, Nick. I think, like Nathan, the game is going to end 1-1. I think Ronaldo is probably going to score the goal, but I don't think it's going to be like last year in the Champions League where Juventus went down 2-0 to Atleti and then Ronaldo just obliterated them in the return leg. I just don't think this team has that zip right now, and I think Leon will be able to hold on. I'm going to go with Nathan's prediction i think juventus are going to win this 2-0 or 3-0 but it's not going to be a entirely convincing it's going to be like they get one early juventus and then it's 1-0 up until around like the 80th minute when they put another one in the back of the net and seal the thing caleb do you want to take us over to your club in barcelona and and preview this barcelona versus napoli game for us oh god do we have to finally poised (laughs) (laughs) if if you're perhaps if you're a napoli fan uh but it's certainly a little bit of turmoil still going on at barcelona coming into you let's just say it this is an absolutely crucial game for kike setzian and, and the future of barcelona as well yeah, no. This is this is a this is a going to be a brutal game for us because Napoli have nothing to lose. You know, they they kind of ended their Serie A season kind of meh. I think they did they miss out on Europe. They finished seventh. I think they get Europa League because oh no, they won they won um, 
they won, won the Copa Italia. The Copa Italia. So they, they have Europa League for next year, um, but not Champions League. So I think they have nothing to lose, and this is going to be one of their last games of the year. So they're just going to go like balls to the wall. Meanwhile, Barcelona have a ton of pressure, a ton of pressure. Um, and we have no fit players. <laughs> um, so in Barcelona, we know they do great under pressure. Yes, absolutely. We have we have never cracked in the Champions League before, um, especially not to an Italian team, especially not to an Italian team. Absolutely. I mean, Roma who? No, but we're we're missing Busquets through suspension and Vidal through suspension. And that's honestly, Vidal is a bigger miss because he's like a big X factor who can score goals. We're also missing Arthur because he's just chilling in Brazil, which I don't blame him, but he's just chilling in Brazil. Umtiti and Araujo are also both injured. So we're down to two center backs. And there's word that Dembele might be in the squad, but like we haven't seen the man since February. So let's not get our hopes up about anything. So point being, our midfield is incredibly depleted. Our offense is really janky sometimes. I mean, Griezmann scored our one goal in the first leg, which is, you know, a long time ago. And certainly we've seen him run very hot and cold. Like, like he's in a shack ad or something like that. Um, <laughs> um so, I mean, like, I don't trust him to do anything here. Uh, I, I, I am, I'm concerned. There's word that Setien might try a 3-5-2. I was about to reference this. So what do you think about the fact that Setien <laughs> is thinking about going back to the 3-5-2? Dude, you can't, you can't try a new system in, like, a one-off game, essentially. Like, you can try, like, the diamond midfield again. I wouldn't be totally against that, but we don't really have enough midfielders. I guess you could do... Sergi, Rakitic, De Jong, and Puig, and then have Messi and Suarez up top. But I think you really just go for 4-3-3, and you kind of just get everyone in there as normal a position as possible. I think you don't play Griezmann, and you put Fati in, and you just tell Messi, like, bro, I know that you should not have this responsibility, but you need to pull this team into the next round and it's sad to say that when you're facing the seventh ranked team in Serie A but I just think there's so much pressure and in those situations you just have to turn to your best guy and say you know what this is it and it's weird to say that when we're talking about a round of 16 game but so it goes so yeah I'm not super optimistic I think we'll win but it's not going to be comfortable it's not going to be comfortable I think the the one saving grace for Barcelona is that Napoli are absolutely atrocious when it comes to big games. They've only won four of their last 12 against the teams that have finished above them in Serie A, those big boys. They do, they've been very poor against them this season. Interestingly enough, the one big game that I remember them winning was against Liverpool. However, that was in a totally different managerial regime. I think Catuso... He's been really smart to bring Insigne, Mertens, and Callejon back to form that front three. I think that's extremely important since they have already so much established chemistry throughout years of play together. I also think you're right in that Napoli have absolutely nothing to lose here uh, coming into the Camp Nou. And it's not like they'll have to deal with the, the atmosphere and the large scale of going and playing away at Barcelona, which I think can kind of intimidate certain people sometimes just because it's such a big atmosphere. Like you said, they're the seventh best team in Serie A for a reason. 
and that's because they choke in these big in these big matches. And I just don't think Gattuso has shown quite enough as a coach yet. I think he's definitely carving out an identity for himself in Syria. But I just think Barcelona and Messi, the individual brilliance of Messi this season is just going to be a step too much for Napoli. But I also don't think that Barcelona are going to make it very far in this competition either. I actually think that it would be better for Barcelona to get blown out by Napoli and lose like 3-0 than it would be for them to make it to the next round and lose. Because I don't really know how else you convince either the socios, the board, or whoever it's going to be that you need real structural change. I guess in that respect, it's sort of like this game is a win-win for Barcelona because if you lose, you can use this as a catalyst for, you know, edifacing some real change. And, yeah, like structural overhaul. Right, sense. exactly. So I, I, and if, I, I personally think Napoli are going to come out and just absolutely blow Barcelona out of the water. We've seen really, it. yeah. We we've seen how shaky Barcelona have been at the back, and the fact that there's really no fit first team center backs uh, for this game is not going to do them any favors. I mean, oh yeah. By the way, we should point out this game is one one. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think Napoli are more than capable of scoring two goals to get that away goal uh, advantage. And I mean, when Barcelona are calling up Conrad De La Fuente into the match day squad, which is what which is where he's going to be tomorrow, uh, I just don't think that that really bodes very well. Um, and obviously not just De La Fuente as a player, but it's it's more indicative of where Barcelona are at this point. It's I think it's better for Barcelona to lose this game if you're a Barcelona fan. As hard as that might be to admit, you know that Barcelona, uh, in your heart of hearts, you know Barcelona are not winning the Champions League this year. Why prolong the inevitable? Rip the Band-Aid off, and I think Napoli are going to take this one 2 nil. Okay, okay. So what you're saying is just Messi should just score on Terstegen a bunch of times, walk up, the drop the bike, and walk <laughs> up the pitch. Yeah, yeah. Talk about sending a message. I mean, that would. Okay, Nathan, I'm not going to take your like weird, like meek Arsenal mindset where you're just like, you know what? I'd rather lose than win. Um, yeah, it's a very like, uh, <laughs> it's a very sub like mindset. Yeah. Like, that's literally, like, the lamest thing I've ever heard someone say in regards to sports. Like, oh, yeah, my team just shouldn't even try to win. What? Winning is always better than losing. Full stop. It's like the Champions League version of tanking <laughs> in the NFL. Yeah. It's like, yeah, no, that is that is just insane. I, I mean, here's... But unfortunately, there's no, like, Tua Tonga Vailoa that Barcelona can draft by losing this game, you know? No, but here's the thing, though. In a, in a weird sense, there kind of is. It's called, like, La Masia. And the alternative storyline that you could totally see coming out of this game is Barcelona have to rely heavy on Fati and Puig, two youth players that have made a name for themselves this season, especially since the restart. And... Fati or Puig assists Fati for the winner and a new generation of La Masia stars is born that propels Barcelona to the next round. I Once again, I don't think we're going to win in the quarterfinals because it looks like we're probably going to have to play uh, Bayern. But I think that there is a positive storyline that could come out of this game. And I reject the notion that losing is in any way better for us as a team. I think that's just like, that's just like an insane idea to say that a sports team in the knockout stages of the Premier Cup competition should be like, losing is better for me. No! 
No. And you're going to tell Messi that also? <laughs> a 33-year-old Messi? Like, bro, don't worry. We'll rebuild. By the time you're 38 years old, we'll have this team yeah. in tip-top shape. That's like, no. Incorrect. Wrong. You are fake news. <laughs> <laughs> but we're about to talk about Chelsea, so maybe it's not totally incorrect. But Chelsea are in a totally different position. No, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm just playing games. Yeah. But yeah, I, Caleb, if Setien rolls out the 3-5-2 against Kai, Hone, Insigne, and Mertens, is there any chance that the scenario that Nathan is talking about where Napoli come out and just get a few quick goals on the board early, is that on the cards here? I mean, potentially, but I don't think that I don't think we're going to roll with the 3-5-2. I really don't. I just think that's too big a gamble. Like, I think you have to play it safe positionally and just really hype up your players. I think that's the path to victory here, not sort of like overly changing the strategy and the formation. Because once again, we're not dealing with a great team. I am always against changing your formation to accommodate other teams because I think it just shows weakness. Like you should have confidence on your part that they should respond to you. You shouldn't respond to them. And I think Barcelona should and rightly, rightfully should have the self-confidence that they are a better team than Napoli. Nathan Strauss, score prediction. Uh, I think I said 2-0 to Napoli, and I'm going to stick by that. I think Barcelona win 2-1. I also think Barcelona win 2-1. I guess that's sort of a a natural segue into the final round of 16 tie that we really don't even need to spend that much time on because uh, if there was ever a cut-and-dry tie uh, at this stage of the Champions League, I think this is it. Bayern Munich, a 3-0 aggregate lead against Chelsea. I guess the question is not if, but how many for Bayern this game. I would enjoy this so much. I normally, you know, I try to play a very neutral perspective on this show. But there, every part of me is going to enjoy Frank Lampard going into the Allianz Stadium, just bending over, Hansi Flick licking his hand and just absolutely spanking Chelsea up and down the pitch for 90 minutes. A depleted Chelsea squad that has been absolutely ravaged by injuries from the FA Cup final. They're not going to have a lot of time to put themselves back together after that deflating defeat to Arsenal. And they're going to go to Bayern and they're going to get absolutely pantsed in Munich. I don't even know how many goals this Bayern is going to score. Caleb and I have already discussed that they're probably the best team in Europe going right now. They resurged in an amazing fashion to win the Bundesliga last month. And I just think they're going to absolutely put the beat down on Chelsea. And I'm going to enjoy every second of it. Now, this game is, I mean, the easiest to predict. Chelsea do not have a chance. Bayern are just going to, you know, just get warmed up for that next game against Barcelona or Napoli. Yeah. So no, no Pulisic, no Azpilicueta. It's a question about whether or not Willian is going to feature no, after his contract. There's, there's, no, there's no Willian, no Pedro. No Willian and no Pedro. Their experienced Champions League players aren't going to be involved in this tie to even help them get a grip back into this game. So I think it's a, it's a question of whether or not Lampard heavily rotates for this one, especially considering that preparations for the new Premier League season are very close to kicking off again. I think Bayern take this one 4-0. And even though and it's it's kind of scary because you picture this Bayern team and you know that they've already been training with Sané, Bayern definitely should be the favorites to win to win this entire competition, especially given the single leg format. Yeah, I agree. Four nil. Dude, if I was Lampard, I wouldn't even show up to this game. 
I would have like a cardboard cutout made of myself, you know, like how they do. <laughs> and I would just put like the Lampard. I would just have my assistant put my my own card the Lampard cardboard cutout on the touchline, and like I would just sit and watch. Not even watch this game at home. I would like do something else. No, 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 no. What you do is Lampard shows up with like Groucho Marx glasses and the nose on like the Zoom oh, fans thing. Yep. <laughs> So they do the they do the cutaway to like the Zoom fans who are watching the game yep. at halftime, and one of them is Lampard. He's wearing a Bayern uh, kit, though. That that'll be the sneaky bit. Yeah, I think Lampard is a fraud. We can get into this on a later podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be just dropping that right here. I'll be totally honest. I think the dude is a. I think the dude is vastly overrated. I think he's an absolute sham of a manager and a coach. And uh, we can get we can Whoa. get into that. Wow. <laughs> <Whoa. laughs> I mean, okay. I mean, if you yeah, only based it, fields. if you only based it on the results of this game, yes. But no, 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 no. I'm not basing that off of only the results no, in this know, game. Know, I'm basing it off of two managerial seasons that I've witnessed so far. But we can discuss that potentially in our whenever we do a Premier League preview show. But like I said, I think Bayern are going to absolutely cook Chelsea here. It's going to be fun to watch. I think Bayern are going to win five nil here. Damn. I think, yeah, but looking at how the bracket lines up, Bayern don't necessarily have the easiest path to the final, um, but I do think that they should be considered favorites. Absolutely. So that is our predictions for the round of 16 ties that are going to be picking up at the end of this week. Nathan, one of the confirmed quarterfinals is your beloved RB Leipzig against Atletico Madrid. Uh, Atleti, we know they uh, took out the defending champions, Liverpool, at Anfield, they beat them 3-2. to two. How do you think this is going to play out, especially considering RBL are without Timo Werner coming into this tie? Yeah, I think if I think if Leipzig had Timo Werner for this tie, they would have a much better chance and maybe even be favorites. But I just don't see how you can, how you can say Leipzig have too much of a chance going up against an Atleti side that in addition to not having lost since the first day of February. That means they're unbeaten in their last 18 games. This is a kind of one-legged style of elimination game, this sort of cup game that really favors how Atleti play. You look at, you know, the fact that, you know, Atleti can defend basically, which they are, which, you know, Simeone has has them doing so well for basically 90 minutes and pick and choose their, their moments to counter. It's just a winner take all rather than having to deal with two-legged ties and away goals and all that that Atleti are going to be the favorites here, especially just seeing how Leipzig aren't going to have their talisman up top. They might not even have second-choice striker Yusuf Paulsen, who uh, suffered an injury with three weeks to go in the Bundesliga season as well. So I see Atleti coming out on top in this one. I think it definitely has potential to be a pretty boring game, as I think both sides are going to place a pretty heavy emphasis on defense. Atleti's additional quality in the midfield with Champions League-proven players, no doubt, uh, will see them come out on top in this one. Yeah, it's going to be a pretty boring game. I agree. And I don't know what Leipzig's track record is in games where they don't have Werner, but I imagine it's not great. And without him, I just don't think they have a chance. And at Letty are just much deeper. They have much more experience. They have much more quality. This is definitely the type of game where I can see sort of Jao Felix scoring like a crazy daisy cutter like he did against Frankfurt for Benfica in the knockout stages of the Europa League last year this could be boring i think i could also see atleti getting a kind of comfortable three nil win honestly 
I'm still a little butthurt that Atleti <laughs> so effectively dealt with Liverpool's pressing system. We know that RB Leipzig are a team that also plays the pressing game, and they do it quite effectively in the Bundesliga, and they did it quite effectively against Spurs uh, leading into this tie. However, we've already seen Atleti dispatch the best pressing team in the world, and I see no reason why they're not going to be able to do that again in this tie. Like Nathan said, it's a one-game tie that heavily favors the defensive counterattacking and long ball style that Diego Simeone likes to employ. I think the one question is going to be who scores the goals for Atleti because I don't think they have a consistent goal-scoring threat anymore, but it's not going to matter all that much when RB Leipzig are without their biggest goal threat and best player as well. Score predictions? 2-0 Atleti. I'm going to go with the cheeky 1-0 Atleti. I'm going to go 2-1 Atleti. All right, and let's go into... The match that I am the most excited for in the entirety of this Champions League competition thus far. And that is PSG going up against the new darlings of soccer. The offensive innovators and the goal scoring monsters in Atalanta. We've talked a lot about Atalanta because it's such a wonderful story and such a wonderful We love Atalanta. Yeah, dude, we stand Atalanta, no doubt. Um... I saw a stat. Guess what Luis Muriel's, or guess how many minutes per goal Luis Muriel had this year in Serie A? 68? It was was 69 minutes. Nice. 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 Um, (laughs) 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 I mean, lethal efficiency. I I think they have a lot going on. Is he going to spoon PSG? (laughs) 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 He could. He very well could. I mean, I think the big question sort of more practically for this game is, do we think Mbappe is going to be fit or not? I think that's the big question. I don't don't think he is. I mean, and if he is, it's going to be a, it's going to be like a Harry Kane situation in the Champions League final last year where he really shouldn't be playing at all, but he's out there because he needs to be. Yeah. I mean, Arsene Wenger, who's, not related to the PSG setup at all. It was just kind of talking to some newspaper said that he is quote, and this is a translation from the French. I am basically sure that Kylian Mbappe will play against Atalanta. So I don't know if uh, Arsene Wenger knows something we don't, but I'm not sure how much stock I put into that. But it is the big question because I think if they have Mbappe, I think PSG will win like 5-3. And <laughs> if they don't have Mbappe, they'll win like 4-3. I'm just excited. It's going to be a complete goal fest. And or if it isn't, I'll be incredibly disappointed. Yeah, Nick, I definitely, I definitely agree with you. And you said that this is the the tie that you're most excited about. It's very rare that you get an underdog as big as Atalanta at this stage of the Champions League. Like I would even say, like Ajax of last year weren't as big of an underdog story as Atalanta. I mean, I <laughs> unfortunately, I kind of see this game being like a 2-1 victory for PSG. I don't think that in a one-legged tie when the stakes are so high um, for Atalanta and frankly for PSG that they're just going to go out and attack where frankly the odds of Atalanta winning are, are definitely higher that both sides are going to go out and attack. Even without Mbappe, PSG have such a talented front line. Uh, obviously, no Cavani for them, but the fact that Neymar is fit for them is going to be enough. I hope, I really hope that Atalanta come out and try to take the game to PSG. And I really think that if PSG lose, there's going to be some serious questions about uh, their status as one of the as one of Europe's top clubs. I think it's going to throw Neymar and Mbappe in particular's future into doubt. If I had to be pressed into making a prediction about who's going to take this one, 
It has to be PSG. I would love to see Atalanta come through. We are obviously huge fans of the black and blue. So I've done a little bit more digging into the culture of Atalanta since we've lavished all this praise on them this season. And it turns out that at the beginning of every season, they have this big, lavish, masquerade-style parade in the city of Atalanta, the region of Bergamo, to celebrate like their new signings. They pray to a certain deity that they that the football team worships that's in their crest. But they they do have this just like very religious cult of personality vibe surrounding their club that I can really get behind. There's something sort of extraterrestrial and spiritual about their fandom. The unfortunate thing is that there's no fans <laughs> to really get behind them in this tie. But I think what a friggin' story would it be if Avalanta, the team from Bergamo, the region in Italy that was absolutely the most decimated by COVID-19 at the beginning of this pandemic, you know, the match between Valencia and Atalanta in the Champions League in March was considered a biological bomb by medical professionals. That is their words, not mine. It'd be a tremendous Leicester City-esque story for Atalanta to go out, absolutely trounce Neymar and PSG, which I think they are capable of doing. Uh, I don't think it's going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination. I certainly think Neymar seems way more committed to this PSG project than he ever has been before. And I think he's going to want to finally deliver a piece of European silverware in PSG colors. However, I just think the cult of personality, the narrative elements of Bergamo, the fact that Atalanta are just on a tear right now, I really hope they get it done. I, I think they have the capability to do it just because PSG might be a little leggy coming into this game after not playing a lot of competitive minutes uh, in the past couple months. So I think Adelaide really needs to capitalize early in this game if they're going to get any sort of result at all. Because I think the longer that they prolong getting on the board, the more time you give PSG to grow into the game. They have so much experience in that team, especially in Champions League football. I, I like this kind of theological angle you're going for here. <laughs> Uh, so I guess their nickname, you mentioned their crest, which has this sort of woman, uh, with hair kind of flowing behind her. Their nickname is La Dea or like the goddess. So you could say, you know, in times of, in times of crisis, you might ask like, where is God? And maybe Atalanta can provide the answer. Um, <laughs> right. and whenever, whenever they say like they, they, if you're in Atalanta and you're an Atalanta supporter, you don't say, I'm going to the match. You say, I'm going to Atalanta. Atalanta is like a far is a far bigger like spiritual concept than just soccer on the pitch. Yeah. Which I certainly don't think that's the case for PSG. Yeah. So we have we have the good old battle between, you know, secular consumerism and PSG versus uh, traditional religiosity in Atalanta. So who will win uh, modernity or tradition? I hope in this case, tradition. <laughs> I don't normally say that, but in, in this particular moment, tradition. If there is any sort of deity out there that they, <laughs> they work their magic on this game and they let Atalanta get through to the next round of the Champions League, I am going to go out on a limb and predict Atalanta win this game three to one. Damn. I, I'm still going with four, three PSG. But I think it'll be I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be exciting regardless. I'm, I'm going to take like the, the weird extreme stance and I'd say 
I say PSG win uh, 6-3. That would be amazing, though. I would love that. I would. I just want a high-scoring game. I feel like the problem with that we've seen developing in, in the restarted era of soccer is there's been a lot of like one-sided affairs. I'm I'm eager to see a highly competitive, highly scoring game. There are some good nuggets, and we'll kind of get to see how our predictions and thoughts shake out starting Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern. But yeah, that has been Corner Kick. We are eager for the return of the Champions League. Caleb, hit me with that theme song. The Champions. <laughs> <laughs> And we will see how it all plays out in the return of Europe's greatest stage. I've been Nick Vinden. Caleb Rhodes. Nathan Strauss. May La Dea bless you wherever you go. That's been our show, and we will see you all next time.